Always Soccer in Philadelphia on a Tuesday. Kevin Kincaid here, and we have a special guest on the podcast today from MLSsoccer.com, a former FC Dallas midfielder, former Harrisburg City Islanders midfielder, played some years in Scandinavia as well, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania native, Bobby Warshaw is with us. Bobby, how are you, man? I'm great. Thanks for a Mechanicsburg shout-out. That's what yeah, I Mechanics- Well, we are a, Pen- a Pennsylvania-based uh, podcast, so we got to give a Pennsylvania shout-out, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. No problem. So, uh, Philadelphia Union, uh, a lot going on right now. And you were down there in Chester uh, last week, I believe, talking to some of the guys and talking to new sporting director Ernst Tanner. Uh, we'll get to that in a sec. But first, uh, a big win for the team against New England over the weekend. I did not see them uh, pulling off a six-pointer uh, road win against a team that was above them in the playoff uh, standings. So, uh, what did you see from that game? I saw basically the same thing I've seen from the Union all year. Is that when you, and I'm writing about this right now, when you watch the Union, they just pass the eye test, right? They're a team that looks good. They look in control on offense, they look in control on defense, and they struggled to score this year, and they've kind of let some soft goals in. So around the 18s, they haven't been great. But it was much of the same, right? They look like the same Union team that plays the same way every single week, you know, has like, you know, relative control of most games. What was different about this weekend is they got a couple set piece goals. And I felt for the Union, is that, that, yes, they are good, and yes, they, they are fun to watch, but they only have one way to beat you, right? If they don't beat you, they're their fun, flowing soccer. They can't really press you to death like the New York teams can. They can't really beat you on set pieces. But all of a sudden, they did. They scored two set-piece goals. So uh, it was much of the same, but also nice to see them add in a little wrinkle as well. So what do you see when you watch this Union team at, from a former player's perspective? You know, I think we're kind of myopic here in Philadelphia because we've watched the same Four two three one year after year after year, and maybe some people are sour. I've been sour on Jim Curtin for a long time, uh, but the fact of the matter is that they're making a push at the right moment. So, um, I mean, what are they doing differently this year, if anything? Well, I think you guys are crazy if you're sour on Jim Curtin, especially right now, right? Uh, I think the way, I think just the brand of soccer. So there's obviously Philadelphia people love to win. I understand that. You know, I grew up a Philadelphia sports fan. My yeah. dad still watches Philly games every night and yells at the TV. But I think just in the way they play the game. Right, is, is in that top echelon of the league. Just their general brand of soccer, the way that they make you feel and you watch, putting the result aside, which I want to give Jim Curtin a ton of credit for. Uh, and I also do think the 4-2-3-1 will change a little bit without Ernie Stewart there. I think Ernie Stewart was an old-school 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. We have our style. We do it through thick and thin. And I think it'll be different on Ernst, Ernst Tanner. And I think that he will be more flexible to formation changes, more flexible to general tweaks in the lineup and tweaks to how they how they play. Uh, so if I were a Philadelphia fan, I would feel really good about the direction of the team right now. So let me ask you about that, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on it, but it's not often that I get to get a former player on here. Um, Four two three one. You know, one of the criticisms that we always had talking about Jim and Ernie over the years is that they always stuck to it without really you know giving anything else a thought, right? And and my, my you you know my opinion on that was always well why are you going to show your hand you know why say that you're only going to play this one shape this one formation this one system from the academy to Bethlehem Steel up into the senior team when I mean realistically you're just giving opponents know what they're going to get they know they're going to get four two three one they know they're going to get C J Sapong running around up top uh, versus just giving yourself the flexibility if you need it so yeah. I mean philosophically where would you say you fall on on, on that line? 
Yeah, I have two thoughts on this. The first is I'm a big believer to my core that it's better to be very good at something than be mediocre at a bunch of things. I think if you look around the league, there's a bunch of teams that say like, oh yeah, you know, we can pass or we can press or we can sit deep. And I actually can't do any of them on any given day. (laughs) I think it's much better to just be like, you know what, we're going to do this thing, but we're going to do it so well that whatever mediocre crap you bring, we're going to beat you. I think this is true about most teams and most sports around the world. That we don't narrow teams don't narrow in at one thing and just get very good at it and say bring it on. Um, but two, regarding what you guys the four two three one, I actually think and this is a bit, bit of a pet peeve of mine. People love saying four two three one, but the union do is a four three three. I think what most teams do is a four three three. The yeah. four two three one is a strict double pivot. Right, you build a block with your center backs and your two defensive midfielders. The outside backs fly forward. You've got a ten. But if you don't have that double pivot, like a true distinctive two defensive midfield setup. Then it's not a four two three one. Then it's an old school four three three with like a single pivot and like a box to box. So uh, I, I yes, that was just me kind of going on my own personal rant. There <laughs> That's about all right. No, um, I, I I find that interesting because uh, you, know, you talk about the traditional double pivot, and then you add a further wrinkle to what to how the union personnel is. Alejandro Bedoya was a right winger for most of his career. You know, that's where he played mm-hmm. for the national team many times. And Harris Madunian in. Uh, you know, he's not your traditional number six. He's not a Diego Chara, Ozzy Alonso, ball winner, bulldog kind of guy. He's more of that deep-lying playmaker with a really good left foot. And so when you look yeah. at the heat maps for this team, they're sort of all over the place in the midfield. You know, a third wrinkle to that is that you're ta- talking about a couple of 19-year-olds playing center back, and they have a non-traditional number six playing in front of them. So yep. there really are a lot of unique kind of things going on here when you look at it, right? Yeah, I've, listen, I've given LAFC and Bob Bradley a ton of credit, you know, because they're an L.A. team who's in a playoff spot. And Bob has really tried to say, you know what, screw a defensive midfielder. For you know, the last 20 years in world soccer, we had said you need a 30 to number six to sit in front of the back four, entire team together. And all of a sudden, Bob Bradley plays Benny Fallhaber, Lee Wynn, and Mark Anthony K there, none of which really have like a true six bone in their body. And it was awesome, right? He's like changing the way we see the game. Last week it occurred to me, like, you know what, like, Jim Curtin did this first. Yeah. Chris Medunian is not a six. Or if he is a six, he's not like a sturdy defensive one, and he needs to be protected by somebody else. His protection, as you said, is Bedoya, who is nominally a winger or an attacking player who all of a sudden is playing this box-to-box role, which I'm not sure, maybe it does suit him, but Bedoya has been put in that box-to-box role just because he's the best player on the team. What do we do with the best player on the team half the time? We say he could do everything. Um, so I think with the way Curtin's played has been incredibly, as you said, like innovative, you know, kind of ahead of his time, saying we're going to play on the front foot, we're going to want the ball, you know, it kind of results be damned sometimes, but we're going to put out a product we believe in. We've sort of been uh, spending the entire podcast this season, Bobby, trying to figure out what this team exactly is. And, uh, you know, we talk about them getting to the U.S. Open Cup final, big win against New England the other night. Uh, And then you look at the standings, they're in playoff position, yet they're still a sub-500 team with a negative seven or eight goal differential. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, really – what 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 is the ceiling for this team and and if they do get into the playoffs do you think they can do anything in a in a six three or a five four wild card game? Yeah, so when I think of a team like the Union, I think that they try and pass and they try and press. And if you try and pass and you try and press and you ever mess on it, you ever mess up on it or ever you're not good at it, you're gonna right? It's like the highest ideal of the game. You know, the old Dutch total football. We're gonna try the ball and we're gonna press and get it back right away. It is the, the best form, I think, both for winning and visually appealing. Uh, but the downside of that is, as I said, if you don't do it really well, you're going to lose, right? And they've got youngsters, they've got, you know, some players who are in the upper echelon of the league, and they haven't done it well at times, and that's led them to lose. Uh, and I just hope that other people have it in perspective that what they're shooting for. You can do what a lot of other teams in MLS do, right? And you can, like, sit deep at times, and you can knock it along, and, but, like, you guys go for it every game, which I think is awesome. 
yeah. So that's what I would say. That's how I would put your season in perspective, is you're trying to do something really special, um, and it doesn't always come off, and that's high risk. Fair enough. Um, okay, so you came down to Chester last week, I want to say it was, and you did some interviews with some of the guys down there. I believe you talked to Ernst Tanner, um, mm -hmm. the new sporting director. But, uh, you know, before I get into that, let's take it back. Let me just do this in chronological order so I touch on everything yeah. here. Ernst Tanner comes in. He's replacing Ernie Stewart. Now, uh, when you were with Harrisburg, you played against the Union. Uh, was that 2016, the U.S. Open Cup game? Yes. Yeah, I want to say you guys got bullshitted on a late foul that wasn't. Oh really yes, a foul. yes, we did. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up. <laughs> I tried to. I just tried to. I, I tried to tell not. both sides, man. Yeah. Um, well, did you get? So that was Ernie's first year. Um, and from a macro, from a micro perspective, number one, did you sense anything different about how the team played or what the team was like when you played against them in 2016? And number two, from a macro um, perspective, what was it? I don't know. In hindsight, was it naive for us to look at Ernie Stewart and think that he was going to be the panacea for every Philadelphia Union malady that a, that a sporting director or a player personnel executive uh, was going to fix everything for this team? Well, Ernie came in with a long-term perspective, right? He said, I'm going to redo your facilities. I'm going to build your academy, and I'm going to have the long view. His problem is that he just missed, missed on too many short-term players, right? You know, he mm -hmm. spent a lot of, they spent a lot of money on Jay Simpson, who didn't work out to their credit. C.J. Sapong got pushed, and C.J. Sapong turned into an elite center forward, at least for a year. But they missed on Jay Simpson. Like, Barnetta was just kind of okay. Elsino was just kind of okay. Christian Nogueira came and then went, you know, in, in Ernie's first year. So I think part of his problem is that Major League Soccer, you just have to hit in these investments. Yeah. You've got to hit on on these players you spend your money on. And he missed on a few, which I think is always going to set your team back. It's always going to make your fan base upset. But, yeah, I mean, when, you, when I played against them and when I've watched them over the last three years, this is definitely a team with a philosophy and a plan. And as I said, it, it's high risk, high reward, and a lot of times it hasn't, hasn't panned out. But I feel like in every league and every, you know, across the world, there's always a team you look at them and you're like, you know what, they're pretty good. They're fun to watch. And then they end up last place because that's what happens. If you try and be good, you get countered and all those things. So uh, I think there's a mixed bag on Ernie. You know, I think he did set a path for long-term success, but he did just miss on too many short-term signings. Yeah, you know, and especially when you're a team that doesn't have a high, you know, a big budget, obviously the margins for hit or miss are going to be very small. You know, you need you need to hit on almost every single one of those guys for them to compete with the likes yeah. of a Toronto or an Atlanta or something like that. But I guess the the positive and and kind of what we circled back in the takeaway from Ernie's tenure here was, you know, he he really connected that pipeline from the academy to steel to the first team, Derek Jones, Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie, Matt Real, Anthony Fontana, uh, even Adam Najem going out and getting him two in a trade. So number one, do you, is that the same takeaway that you have as we do? And number two, when they bring in a guy like Ernst Tanner, who has more experience actually on the youth side of things versus as a sporting director, making transfers and things like that. Is that a continuity of what they got out of Ernie? Can I, can I want to make a point. I have two more points to make about Ernie. Yeah. Um, but first on the Academy, I hope like, we, we should all acknowledge, like, Mark McKenzie, Austin Trusty, Matt, like, Matt Real, Anthony, these were not high-end prospects either, right? This was a giant risk and a giant statement to say, we're going to entrust them. This wasn't Andrew Carlton coming through and saying, yeah, there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. These are guys, I mean, Austin Trusty was not a great academy player. He was an average USL player. But they said, you know what, like, we could go invest a ton of money or we could go and give you a chance. And I think that Union fans often get disgruntled by the lack of of spending money, but I will say in the ecosystem of Major League Soccer right now, if you have a front office and a manager who is willing to put their jobs and put your anger as fans on the line 
towards them on the line to play younger players and develop them for the long term goodness for the long term growth of the club and American soccer. Like, we just freaking need more teenagers to play professional men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you look at Germany, Spain, they've got exponentially more teenagers playing professional minutes as teenagers. Um, so uh, yeah, that's one thing. Two, here's one thing I will say that always upset me about Ernie is there's a thing that Philadelphia has. It's one of a few cities in the world, or you know, in America, maybe New York has it too, where you see Philadelphia and everyone knows what that means. Right? There is an instant thought process and just like general personality trait that comes to mind with the idea of Philadelphia. Yeah. And I was always frustrated that they didn't tap into that. That you could put out 11 players, and Bedoya is one. Right? Like, I, listen, I love the way the union play, but I think there's also a way to marry that with like Philadelphia type kids. And do you know, I. I you know what I mean when I say that? Like, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think angry. you're saying like the blue collar, just like hardworking, yeah. you know, tough attitude, kind of, you know, bust their ass kind of player, yeah? Yeah. So I'm not going to say that I don't love the, the flow, passing, flowing style, but it always upset me that Ernie didn't put more, Even the kids in the academy are recruited from outside Philadelphia, right? So I appreciate yeah. they're trying to build the academy, but a lot of those kids aren't even like, don't have Philadelphia in their heart and, and hasn't like raised them to be the person they are. Yeah. Um, and I just wish that the team always tapped into that, like, Philadelphia attitude more and made it a it's, brand uh, of, like, you know, literally join or die kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, let me share a story with you that I don't think I've ever told anybody, uh, even on this podcast. But uh, back when Nick Sakevich was running the team, he and I met up actually a couple times just to talk about things. Just have a drink at the bar or whatever the hell, right? Um, we didn't have an amazing relationship because I was breaking some stories back then. He was kind of annoyed at that, but he's like, whatever, let's just get together and talk about it. And one of the things that we actually hit on that we really agreed was that a lot of those early Philly teams just didn't have that like hardcore, like, you know, just, uh, go after it, asshole kind of player, you know, like, uh, it seemed like the team was more interested in playing video games or playing the Fortnite equivalent of whatever was popular back then and playing their acoustic guitar partying in old city downtown and nick said he's like i wish that there were some people who were just a little bit more hungry for it you know just had that attitude to just go out and and win and achieve um you know at any price i mean i don't know if that's a i don't know if that's an indictment on what they were doing at the time what the team was doing at the time or just that batch of players but um i think that probably speaks to what you're talking about yeah yeah totally and i pitched listen before i retired i pitched the gym for two years i was like you need a guy like me Right? Like, I'm not going to be your starting center midfielder to get you an up tub, but you just need more people in there to be angry, yeah, to fight and claw. And I, so, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I love what they've built. I just wish it, they could have ingrained that with the Philadelphia mindset a little bit more. Well, I mean, I watched that game, and I watched you at Harrisburg for a little bit when you were with them, and I, I thought that you would not have looked out of place at all on a union team. So maybe in uh maybe in another lifetime but let, yeah, right. let, let me um let me go back to the thing about the homegrowns cuz i've always said on this podcast and i'm in, i've been consistent with it and i'll stay consistent with it is that my my philosophy is that i don't know if you can put 11 homegrown kids out on the field and win a trophy with it now if you put eight homegrown kids if you put eight austin trustees and mark mckenzie's and Derek jones out on the field and you surround them with three dp slots and you do your limited spending on those three dps I mean, personally, I think that's a playoff team that could compete for an Open Cup final or even an MLS Cup. Do you think, you know, fill it, filling it out with homegrowns and then nailing those DP signings, is that enough in, in, in modern-day MLS? Oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, I think six or seven is too many. So here's what I will scream from the top of a mountain about homegrowns and young players, <laughs> which I don't think people don't – which I think people don't realize until they're in training with them and watching them in training, that they just aren't good enough. 
right? Like teenagers are not good enough. This whole idea that we set up an environment with all these TAM signings and all these new players, and we say you've got to get good enough, you've got to grow, and we'll play the young domestic players when they're good enough, is just the most insane friggin' idea in the history of the world because they're not, right? You literally can't get good enough until you play. You literally can't be worthy of MLS time unless you get on the field and take your lumps and are allowed to, to play through it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That, so, like, you literally you have to take a huge leap of faith. But everyone talks about how great Trusty and McKenzie were, but, like, at the end of the day, you guys have still going to have given up, like, the third most goals in the league, right? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, not third, but yeah. you know, in the bottom half of goals in the league. But you have a philosophy that says we're going to stick through these guys. So, yeah, I think that seven or eight is probably too many. I think it's, like, you know, one, two, three at a time. Uh but I will say after this, I, I think the idea in this new TAM era of MLS is like it, it's squad depth and too deep at every spot. I think that's also insane. I think you should spend all of your money on those two or three players, sprinkle in your two or three TAM guys, but then 13 through 27 should be, yeah, teenagers. Because yeah. um, I believe in that Barcelona, that's what Pep did at Barcelona, right? Where granted, they played a certain style in a league where it was easier to do that. Um, but I just think it's better to have all these hungry dudes who are dying to be there every day than the guy who's a little pissed off he didn't play. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. I agree with all that. Um, you came down last week. Who did you talk to? Um, what were your takeaways? What did you learn? Um, and what did you think about Ernst Tanner? Yeah, so we talked to first Austin trustee Mark McKenzie because we do the 22 front under we do the 22 under 22 right. every fall. And I think it's safe to say that both of those guys will be on that list. So we just got some, some film and some quotes from them for that. So we talked to Bedoya, who's always good, right? Like, you know, Bedoya is the damn gold mine for you guys in terms of quotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely is. Um, um, what did what, what did Ernst have to say? Not a ton. You know, I think partially I'm not great at doing those on-site uh, quotes <laughs> and, like, eking out lines yet. But, hey, his, his English is it's probably good enough conversationally, but not good enough to, to get on camera on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. B, I think he was just tired. He had like done the press conference. He had been at practice. He's been kind of showing off for two straight days. Uh, what did he say? He talked about. I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't think he said that much that in there. Um, <laughs> he gave a lot of like. He gave a lot of the normal quotes you would expect someone in that position to be. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you, when you talk to someone, you just have a feel for like a. Are they interested in being in your presence? There's a ton of people who wear suits in this world who just like are dismissive of people around them. That wasn't Tanner. He was more than happy to give us his time, to give us his eye contact. Uh, and B, he just like, felt like he did have put all the pieces together. He wasn't just a guy who throws, who throws out the quote that there is meaning behind them. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I got that sense from him as well. He didn't have a lot to say, but that's okay. Um, you know, because at the end of the, the day, way, he's, not brought, he's not brought over here to for his skills talking to the media. He's brought over here as to, to whether he can create a, a winning squad, you know? So at the end of the day, even as a media member, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not on the beat anymore, but I don't give a shit whether he talks to us or not. Like, uh, I talked, yeah. I talked to Vince Nogara four times in three years and he was one of the best players on the field. So, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. But I think I just found it curious, you know, I mean, it felt like they were hiring a second Academy director, but when I looked at his transfer history, assuming that he was the one doing the transfers at Hoffenheim when he was there, from 2010 to 2012, you know, Bobby Firmino, Kevin Voland, uh, some of the American guys coming back and forth. I mean, it seems like he does have, I mean, quote unquote, checks all the boxes, right? Yeah, and he was sporting director at Hoffenheim. So he was academy director at Salzburg, but he was full on sporting director at Hoffenheim. Yeah. 
So he was more than the academy director. And he hired, he gave Julian Nagelsmann, who's the 30, 31 year old, I don't know which one now, who's about to take over Leipzig, who's like the hottest coach in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he does, uh, yeah, you know, I kind of thought the same thing. Like you did, it does make you wonder. And the big question that I asked him, which he didn't give a great answer, was at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure out how do we marry this idea of development and winning. Because I've said, I've been very impressed with how you guys have played and the fact that you bring young players through. We haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years, and you're, you know, you got to. One of my favorite things you ever said, I don't know if it was on Twitter, on the podcast, was like, the Union missed a window. Every Philadelphia sports team sucked for four years, and the Union <laughs> didn't capitalize. Um, yeah. Which is it's spot on. So they have to win. You can whatever, say whatever else you want, they have to win to get market share. Well, it's time, you know, and um, I just, that was tough for me personally, even though I'm, I, I mean, I just try to tell it how it is. Even when I was on the beat, I, I made no you know, qualms about being somebody who grew up in this area, um, you know, as you did close enough, uh, without really a professional soccer team in, in the biggest city in the state. So it was disappointing from, you know, I've always said that it was kind of an auxiliary responsibility for everybody who was involved in, in Pennsylvania soccer in some way, shape or form, whether you played for Juniata or FC Delco, or you play, grew up in Mechanicsburg and, um, or you ended up writing about the Philadelphia, you know, we all, we all had this kind of auxiliary responsibility to help help grow the game here because you know as well as I do how tough this market is you know it's Eagles Flyers Phillies Sixers you know everything else right yeah um, absolutely yeah but I, I they they did they did it, it was a time where they, these every other every other team in town sucked and sucked and sucked and sucked but the positive thing about it you know as well as I do it's like this team wins a couple games everybody's back on the bandwagon you know and uh that's not to say the Philly fans are bandwagon jumpers, but they, they'll support a, they'll support a winner and they'll drive down to Chester and uh, you know come back to a team that turns it around. I mean, it wasn't it really wasn't that long ago that the Phillies were awful and then they became the most popular team in town. So I think that's probably the silver lining, yeah. Yep, and I, what I will say too is I hope that I hope that the Union fans do appreciate what they have because I do feel like what the Union are building with like I said their style of play, the idea that they're willing to play young players, like they're giving these guys a chance is unique in major league soccer and special. So winning would be nice, but I hope that they acknowledge it's not the end all be all and the union are doing other things that, that separate them and make them unique amongst all the other teams. Yeah. I have one uh, final thought and then I'll ask you one question. I'll let you go. Um, you know, talking about the construction of a roster, you know, I point to what Toronto FC has done over the last couple of years. And this sounds like a cheap answer as to how you build a team. But the, the fact of the matter is that they explored every single avenue of player personnel that was available to them. Right. They had their they nailed their DP signings. They spent money on the DPs. They got Delgado in the Chivas USA dispersal draft. They had Alex Bono in the draft. They had Tam players. Uh, they made some shrewd trades. They had Drew Moore was a was a free agent. I mean, literally, you go down that Toronto roster and you you write down every single possible way that you can sign a player in Major League Soccer, and they they explored that or they did that, you know. So that's, I mean, I think going back to our discussion about the homegrowns and how you complement those guys, I think the answer is that you probably have to put, you just try to try to explore every single avenue possible, right? Yeah, I think it's cool because it allows smart people to rise to the top. Yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah. All right. My final question for you, um, you know, it's it's sort of I want to explain this kind of catch 22 situation that I that I feel like Philadelphia fans uh, have been sensing. They see some success here. They see some improvement in the team. Uh, they see a chance at the first trophy in in franchise history if the union can beat Houston. Right. But there's also a, a portion of people who say, OK, we're still looking at a sub 500 team that hasn't hasn't won a playoff game yet. 
So, you know, is it is an Open Cup win a success enough for this team that, that you know, Ernst Tanner says, all right, we're going to continue with Jim Curtin and move forward and, and, li- and we like what we're doing? Um, or is that just sort of a stopgap, maybe delays the inevitable? I mean, do you sense the push and pull that Union fans are kind of feeling right now? Oh, I totally get it. And I, I, we talk about this around the office a lot. You know, does an Open Cup save a season? Uh, and I think it depends your club, right? If you are in Toronto and they just win, you know, their Canadian championship, but not the other ones. It's, but, uh, yeah, for the Union, I think for most, almost any club in the league, trophies are cool, right? Like, trophies are fun. The finals are fun. The Open Cup is a real tournament. And, yeah, it's lost a little bit of luster. But, you know, it's like the longest continuously running cup tournament in the world, right? Yeah. You can't have to me on that, but I'm almost positive that. And, yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, and you guys should feel good anytime you win a trophy, or any team should feel good anytime they win a trophy. Uh, so I think it's a huge accomplishment for, for any team. Bobby Warshaw from com, former Harrisburg City Islander, former uh, FC Dallas guy, played some good years over in Scandinavia as well. Um, he's also got a book out. It's called When the Dream Became Reality. And if you want to check that out, it's pinned uh, at the top of his Twitter page. Um, Bobby, tell me a little bit about the book real quick. Uh, the book is just an attempt to give a real sense of what it's like to be a professional athlete. You know, not the LeBron James or the Derek Beckham, but, you know, the rest of us who are just, like, fighting to survive every single day, the good, the bad, you know, what it's like to have a relationship as a professional athlete. Um, all those, you know, little insights. Um, I try to kind of give an honest perspective. Perfect. Bobby, hey, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, maybe we'll uh, do it again sometime, all right? Yeah, that would be great. Thanks. All right, thanks, brother. All right, it's time for your questions, comments, and concerns, and I'll try to get through them a little quicker this time so it's not just 25 minutes of me talking by myself. But uh, I don't know, unless you guys like that. Uh, unless you guys like that, I will. Uh, I can do that. Uh, Drew Catalana says, thoughts on the Casa League final? Yeah, uh, Kareeth Gabriel and I did the uh, broadcast for the, uh, the Casa League final, the Kelly Cup final um, at Talon the other day, which was fun. That was the second time I've done it. I'm not that great at play-by-play or color commentary yet, but uh, I'd like to do some more of it. Uh, FC Misconduct was not themselves. Stony United, big upset victory, one nothing. well, one nothing, zero zero. then they won on penalty kicks, but um, it was a good game. The broadcast is still archived if you want to hear me talk about soccer for 90 minutes and try to do color commentary with that, or try to do uh, play-by-play without having all the numbers correct. That's on the Casa League uh, Facebook page. Um, Union Hulk, let's start off with Union Hulk. Uh, Mr. Kevin Dino has seen some shit following the Philadelphia Union for years. Uh, what's something Kevin Dino has seen that we don't know about, aside from the, uh, the time that the Union was rumored with the German fifth league winger Heine McWipe? Uh, well, I gave you the Nick Sikiewicz nugget there. Maybe I'll just expand on that. Um, yeah, Nick and I met up a couple times. Uh, he was kind of annoyed with some of the stuff I was reporting at the time, which was all true, by the way. Um, but I was like, yeah, sure, we can meet up, grab a beer, or whatever the hell. And, uh, you know, we just talked and talked and talked for a while. We talked for like an hour. Uh, we met up at this place in Wayne. Um, it was the uh, Great American Pub or something like that. I think it was a couple of those, actually, now that I think about it. But, I mean, we just talked about the team, and we talked about, you know, Jay Sugarman and, you know, the players and stuff like that. And, you know, I've said it before on the podcast, but I think Nick Nick is a is actually a, a really good dude when you get him one on one. I told him straight up, I'm like, Nick, why don't we see more of this from you? And he's like, Well, look, I mean, you know how it is. You know, you have to. He's like, I am the face of ownership. I was chosen to be like this. You know, I have to stand up for Jay and these people and whatever. And uh, like I said, I don't know if Nick really helped ever helped himself with you know the some of the quotes he had, some of the press conferences he had, a little tournament in Brazil, some of the defiance that he showed, but uh, a little secret is that Nick was not as bad of a guy behind the scenes as, as maybe he came across. 
uh, in front of the cameras. But uh, uh, Phil Kaidel from Crossing Broad says, can we pump the brakes on the Rooney play? Orlando City is bad. Yeah, Orlando City is shit, but that doesn't that doesn't make the the Wayne Rooney play any less uh, amazing. And listen, the fact that, like, you know, of course the Euro snobs are finding anything and everything to be pissed off with or uh, it's something to criticize on a video. Like, well, why did the, why was the goalkeeper up in a 2-2 game? Well, because they need three points. They're at the bottom of the table. They don't need one point. They need three points because they're trying to get in the playoffs. And there's no relegation, so it doesn't matter if they lose the game. So why don't you Euro snobs read the fucking MLS rules and get over it, all right? Um, and then people were saying, well, Wayne Rooney didn't, uh, they didn't go celebrate with Wayne Rooney. Well, he's fucking 50 yards away. What do you want him to do? Sprint in the opposite direction? Acosta went and jumped into the crowd. And then people say, well, it's shit goalkeeping and shit defending and shit, blah, 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 blah. I mean, come on, man. It's a great play. I watched Peter Cech almost kick the ball into his own goal last week in the Premier League. So fuck off with that. All right. Anyway, um, Zolo says, uh, who do you think will make the jump from Academy Steel to the first team next year? I don't know. I really haven't been paying enough of that. I would defer that to uh, to, to Matt Ralph at Brotherly Game. He's probably got the best uh, grip on that. Uh, David Shea says, will you bring Baxter to pause on the pitch? Yeah, sure. I don't. What is, what's the deal with that? I just bring the dog and he gets to run around the field? Uh, I probably have to keep him on the leash. I, he's not. He doesn't listen to commands, so I don't, he'd probably get excited and run into the locker room or something like that. Uh, Rich Ransom says, what's worse, what Orlando does, which is throwing money into the fire and making things worse, or doing what the union do, not spending and uh, not spending and everything stays stagnant. Uh, well, I mean, Orlando looks goofy doing that, but, you know, at least it makes it seem like they're serious to try to get out of it, you know, uh, spend enough money. Eventually, you'll get it right, like Toronto did. Toronto threw money at the problem for years until it finally worked and we're not making fun of them anymore they went from the quote-unquote the worst team in the world to the best team in north america and well in canada and uh united states in a short amount of time mike cardamone says are the union going to disappoint us again this season missing the playoffs and losing in the open cup final yeah i don't know i mean i think they have a pretty good shot to win this thing you know they got some confidence from winning four road games so far this year they beat houston there said it on the last podcast uh you know, you know, BS penalty aside, I mean, they, they feel like they, they know what it takes to win there. So, uh, Tallahassee unions, we see more of Sapong on the wing and Burke up top. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I thought CJ was, was okay there, um, the other night, but you know, definitely build off it for sure. He hasn't played there in a while, especially not as a starter. I kind of like him more off the bench in that spot, but uh, it was just another wrinkle. I'm glad, I'm glad Jim showed that because I think they got some success with it. Um, how does that personnel set up impact the other team's game planning for the union? Well, I mean, if you think about it, one of the fancy trendy words that was thrown around a lot uh, last year, the year before that maybe was target winger. Remember that one target winger? Cause the idea was that you could just chunk balls forward diagonally and uh, you had a guy who could sort of settle it or, or win the ball in the wide area there. And what that does is that when CJ's holdup play is being made, uh, is being executed one line further back than it was, it shrinks the field a little bit. So, I mean, what I'm saying is that CJ's hold-up play when he was going up against two center backs and getting crushed, it was harder for the midfield line to then close the gap. You know, it was harder for everybody to get up. But now if he can hold the ball and do some possession work, you know, on the flank, it lets those, that you know, lets Madunian and Bedoya, uh, Keegan Rosenberry, that, it lets that, that group of guys get forward a little easier. And so you're bringing the same qualities, just one line further back on the field, you know. And then you got Corey Burke, uh, who can go occupy – who's also a big guy who can go occupy the center backs up top, you know? Uh, Doobie Brothers says, who's your favorite Twitter follow who we should all go follow? 
<laughs> um, and the least favorite person who follows you, the least favorite person who follows me. I don't know. I think I scared them all off by now. Uh, and does Trusty get a senior national team call up this fall? No, I don't think he gets a senior national team call, but uh, I don't know. Favorite favorite Twitter uh, follow? I don't know. I'll give you a new one, actually. I just followed these guys. Um, back out of the thing here on my phone. They are... Uh, it's always Philly. At Philly Snark. And they do, like, uh, just funny, goofy photos. Feel like Philly-based photoshops or whatever. Uh, they just put a picture out the other day that had um, that says "shock South Philly institution Geno's is now a taco stand." It says Geno's Tacos or they did another one with like uh, uh, this Fishtown scaffolding that's been up for like two friggin' years. They they gave it its own like historic designation. Uh, that's a good Philly Snark's a good one. Um, they they need some more uh, some more volume though. I think. All right, let me yeah, pick it back up here. Uh, uh, Ezra says, uh, since we will likely not open the pocketbook to make Dutch Cal permanent, are we about to go through this uh, summer of number 10 search? Number two is Adam Maher available. Uh, that's a good question. I think Maher just, uh, is he like with Twente or Feyenoord or something right now? Uh, Rick McGovern would know, call him. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I do you want Dutch call back? I mean, I don't know how much he really did. The other night, I think they won on some set pieces and uh, penalty. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world because now, now you have, when you go through the search this time, you're going to have a guy in Tanner who has a fresh batch of number 10 options, you know. So it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like Ernie and Chris and Jim have exhausted all the all their contacts, all their ideas, and they're scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for a Doge call replacement. So it's not the worst thing in the world even if he does walk. Uh, Kevin says, why was Ernie so afraid to set a high standard for this team? Ernst comes in from day one saying to expect playoffs every year. Is there a culture shift going on? Uh, I mean, maybe he's afraid to set a high standard because he saw something that we didn't right away. You know, um, maybe when he came in, like I said, maybe it was worse than he thought it was going to be. And so he tried to temper expectations. But still, you don't – if that's the case, just swallow it. Don't say it. I mean, again, I appreciate Ernie being honest. I appreciate Jay being honest. But nobody really wants to hear – uh, that we're bringing of the we're doing the musket fight, you know. So uh, Craig says, write the damn book. Yeah, I know, but I, it's like I have it all outlined. I have a bunch of emails saved, stuff printed out, like old conversations and stuff, and I could do it. But I write every day from like eight thirty to five thirty, and when I'm done, I don't feel like writing anymore. That's why people like Grant Wall, like Grant Wall, who's really really overrated, by the way. Um, that's why people like him takes like sabbaticals take time off when they go to write their book because they need to just focus solely on that it's like think about what you do with it your job all day long if you're if you're a golf pro at um bella vista golf course do you want to do eight more hours of being a golf pro at mainline golf course when you're done your shift no you don't i mean it's still work so i was thinking maybe what i could do is i could do a special podcast like spinoff or something or maybe once every other week where i just do like an audiobook version of this shit because it's easier for me to just blurt it out instead of trying to recall eight seasons of covering the union and all these sort of bullshit that went with it um or maybe we continue to document it in some other way shape or form but i, I would love to do it but who am i writing it for i'm writing for like a thousand of you guys no offense but you know with with all the shit that's on my plate right now it's just too hard to get done um anyway Big Mac says favorite local uh, small breweries and brew pubs in the tri-state area. 
uh, get your butt down to WBW. What is WBW? Wilmington Brew Works uh, for a sample. Well, I will. You know, I pimped out Hidden Sands on here a couple times. I really like uh, what Evil Genius is doing right now. The Chamonix Creek always. Uh, I've been down to Ludlam Island and Slack Tide. Uh, I've been to Vinyl Brewing in Hamilton. Um, Double Nickel, Flying Fish. I mean, all of them around here. I don't. I think you're getting some now that just pop up in these garages that really don't know exactly what they're doing yet. Um, you know, it's getting saturated to the point where you now I know what tastes like shit and what doesn't. I don't find a lot of those around here, but I still have to get to a couple more at the shore. Uh, I'll suggest Love City Brewing, too. Um, guy that I went to school with, actually, Boardtown opened that place. His name's Kevin Walter. I didn't see him down there when I went down there. Uh, maybe I'll give him a shout. But go, that's down in, uh, like, Spring Garden area. Uh, so go see that one, too. Talk dupe with Ryan. Is Corey Burke the answer? Are we a playoff team? Elliot or McKenzie? What happens to Dogecoin next year if we lose the Open Cup Finals at a total disappointment? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. Now you're there for three times in five years. and I mean, think about that. You'd say they've, they've lost three Cup Finals in five years. And nobody nobody wants to carry that. Uh, is Corey Burke the answer? Maybe. I know that CJ's not. Uh, Jay Simpson's not. So, therefore, here we are. Uh, is this a playoff team? Yeah, I'm really, really disappointed in Toronto and Chicago, man. What a dumpster fire those teams are. Um, that's the thing people aren't saying here. I mean, th there really shouldn't be a spot for Philly if those teams were doing anything close to what they should be. Uh, Elliot or McKenzie? I like Elliot right now. <laughs> you know? I mean, like I said, it's it's not – he didn't come off the field because he was playing bad. He had a little injury, I think, and then Mark McKenzie started playing well. But, uh, you know, he's, he's playing well right now. Keep him in. Whatever. Jared says, who's the union MVP so far this season? Oh, shit, that's a good question. Um, God, I don't know. I, Bedoya, would it be Bedoya? It's not Sapong, it's not a Calm, it's not Pico, it's not Madunian. Uh, it's not Trusty's played every game, it's not really him. Rose, not Rosenberry, it's not Blake. Yeah, I don't know. They they are a team, you know. It's, <laughs> I mean, as cliche, as cliche as it sounds, it's... It really is what it is. Uh, Dr. Evil says Steel have been signing 18 to 20 year old players like Chiluya and Baizo and Galino and Mumbanya from uh, Africa. I thought we didn't have any scouts. Also, can you see why this is another extension of the academy for the team? Or also, you can see this is another extension of the academy for the team. If they sell the players at the union or the Steel selling them. Well, I mean, they've had connections with Africa. You know, um, Eric Ayak came out of Rainbow, uh, Rainbow Academy over there. Uh, there have been a pipeline of guys coming over to different places from there. It's like a factory over there. Um, I think Chris Albright knew somebody over there, too. I mean, there's a difference between having scouts and having existing pipelines with agents and stuff like that and these, like, player factories that exist over there. Um, they're still not getting down to see, um, you know, Emelec versus <clears throat> Barcelona in Ecuador and saying, oh, hey, we're going to put a discovery claim on, you know, player A who nobody really knows about yet. There's a clear difference between pipelines and established stuff versus going and finding that diamond in the rough kind of dude, you know. Um, if they sell players at the Union or Steel Sun, uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's the same. The money's coming back the same way. It, it, depending on whether it's, you know, MLS would take a little bit of a cut or I guess the USL maybe would too. I don't know what their rules are. Uh, Jim O'Leary says, what's wrong with Madunian in this year? Uh, in what sense? Like he's not putting up as many numbers. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I mean, yeah, I guess his assist numbers are down. He's, he scored a couple good goals. I, I think, I still think he's the player that he was. I don't really see much of a difference there. Um, 
Matt Thornton says among the chasers for the final spots in the East, who has the easiest schedule? Union have New York City twice, New York Red Bull at Seattle and at Columbus. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would have to be a separate thing. I have to pull up all, all three or four of those teams and look at it. Um, the Union, I mean, played at Portland, played at L.A. already, um, at Houston. I mean, they've gotten, I think, most of their – you know, they still do have that Seattle trip, but I think they've gotten most of their, their West Coast trips out of the way. Uh, heading toward the this is from Frank. Heading towards the playoffs, do we need Cravalho Jones to play more so that we have a real defensive mid in front of the back line? Well, I mean, I've said it a thousand times before. I'd still have Bedoya playing on the right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Corey Burke, Bedoya on the right, Pecall on the left, Dojkal, Jones, Madunian in. You bring Carval in as a sub, bring CJ in as a wing sub, a com as a wing sub, or a striker sub. I mean, there's three good subs there. I just I just think Bedoya's got better attacking qualities, you know? Uh Matthew says, first club trophy with an Open Cup title or first club playoff round win. What is better moving forward? Open Cup title. Open Cup title because then you get the money from it too, from winning it, and then you get a taste of champ the Champions League as well. I mean, that moves this team forward than one playoff win because then what? If they go, say they go to Columbus in a 6-3 or a 5-4 match and they win, and then they get smoked by New York City – in a two-leg second round, what, really? I mean, yeah, you're looking forward to next year, but you're also looking forward to next year when you host, uh, you know, Olympia or uh, Pachuca at Town Energy Stadium, you know? So I'd go Open Cup for sure. Uh, Mitch says you need a four road wins this year. What's changed from 2017? How have Curtin's tactics evolved? Um, You know, they... Sorry, I just got a text message from somebody that I was not expecting. Um, what's different on the road? They're not as bunkered in. They're not as, like, fearful to go forward and try shit. You know, they're trying to possess the ball, and they're trying to get the ball forward. And it's not just, like, sit back in this shell and wait to counter and hope to nick one. Um, remember, they couldn't get a sniff of the ball in possession uh, in years past when they were playing on the road. Some of those games ended 65-35, 60-40. I mean, the possession numbers are terrible, but I I don't know what he said to him, but just, hey, let's get forward and let's play a little bit. You got nothing to lose. Why the hell should you play differently on the road than uh, than at home anyway? Maybe you approach the subs differently. Maybe you try to sit on a lead if you have it, but um, they've just looked more adventurous, I guess. I don't know. Uh, United Die says, why do we rarely pick up players in the summer transfer window who could be on the team the next season? Uh, would probably help avoid slow starts to the next season. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they got Bedoya in the summer. They got Barnetta in the summer. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's a weird MLS thing. I mean, you can get good players. It's it's there are more players available in the summer anyway. I think they they should put more time into that. But you know, then again, they're coming in with what twelve, thirteen games left to play in the in the season. You see that happen to a lot of guys like Marco DeVaio and Tim Cahill or whatever came in and didn't click right away. But then when they got a, a full off season, uh, they were great. So maybe that's what they see in it. Maybe they just don't think of the bringing people in through the middle of the season is always going to be a slam dunk. Uh, Big Mac, please look at the current roster and project which players stay and go after the season. Uh, I know it's hard not knowing if Jim will stay. Well, why don't Dave and I do that the next, um, I'll, I'll write that down. We can do that as like a thing towards the, towards the end of the year, and Dave and I will do that. Uh, Home Sweet Soccer says, is Herbers making that much of an impact that warrants leaving $1 million on the bench? Uh, granted, Akam has played horrible this year when he finally had a good game against Chicago. He hasn't played 60 minutes since. 
Um, this is me. He's done after this year. Well, I don't know what they can do with him because you know there's no they can't tran they can't sell him because they get no money back from it. Because I think if you looked at the structure of how that was done, like I think Chicago got most of it. Herbers, no. I, I mean, it's nice to see Fabian back with the senior team. I don't think he had a great game the other night. Uh, but Akam did nothing when he was given the start after the Chicago Fire Open Cup game. So go figure. Again, Bedoya Pico. Your best wingers on this team right now are Bedoya and Pico, and they'll see you when he's healthy. That is a fact. Sean says, how much longer do we think the soccer Don and other MLS owners put up with Jay Sugarman's penny-pinching ways? Well, as we said before, they'll have to wait until expansion's done. Uh, John says, I feel hopeful for the union. Should I be concerned? Yes. Uh, who's gone this year? Who's gone next year? A comp. This is from Union Rumors, Steel Rumors. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they do with the comp. I, what do you cut him? I got to look back at the structure of, of that deal because I under. Well, my understanding was is that if they sell him, they don't get any money back from it. So, uh, Jay Simpson will be gone. How about that? I'll, I'll give you that one. Uh, Adam says, with the Beambo jersey sponsorship up in 2019, can the Union finally get a Wawa jersey sponsorship? Yeah, wouldn't that be great? It'd be awesome. Um. I just don't know what Wawa has to gain from that. I mean, everybody knows what who Wawa is and what Wawa is. I mean, the only thing that would make sense is if they were trying to branch out and, like, they, you know, they would get some national uh, interest from people in Seattle who are saying, what the fuck is Wawa, you know? But people in Seattle, Tacoma aren't going to walk down the street to a Wawa because it's not, it's not there, you know? They're, they're still very local. Maybe Comcast, but Comcast is, you know, has the wings and the fusion and whatever, um, maybe it'll be some kind of like hospital or like uh, medical thing or something like that. That's been a trend lately. Or how about this? I'll give you one. Uh, Pennsylvania should hopefully eventually someday soon be, uh, you know, be legalizing gambling here. So maybe they get one of those, uh, maybe they get like a DraftKings or a, is FanDuel still a thing? I don't even know. Like, you know, a lot of the European teams have like bet three, six, five or blah, blah, bullshit, whatever with, with, with their sponsorships. I know that's sometimes an issue with religion. Like I know the Muslim players, you know, cause gambling is, um, is forbidden in Islam, for example, like there's been issues with those players wearing that. So I don't know if that would be a thing as well, but it, it's, there's definitely money there. They're looking to put those gambling companies are looking to put money onto anything and anything, uh, anything and everything. So I would, I would give them a call if I was, uh, the union front office, hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, Evan from uh brotherly game says, how dumb is the MLS rookie of the year award? I, it's really dumb. I mean, I don't think it defenders won it in like six years. And that was Austin Berry. And I don't think there was a strong class back there. But, I mean, when Gressel won it last year, it was like, okay, whatever, he scored a couple goals. But everybody knows. Anybody who watched anything knew that Elliott was just as much of a player last year as, as Gressel was. I mean, he played for Atlanta, of course. So uh, Alex um, says, I'm surprised Marisa Du hasn't signed somewhere. I was in training uh, with LAFC in preseason. His soccer IQ alone would make him a decent piece, Alec Gooch. Yeah, I know. I mean, maybe the injury is just worse than we thought it was. Maybe they looked at him and said he just doesn't have it anymore. You know, when you have two debilitating season-ending injuries like that, you never know what that does for you. I mean, he's, I think, 30 now, 31, something like that. So I don't really know if he has anything left in the tank, which is really sad. Um, Brisket Bear, if Elliott and McKenzie are both healthy, who starts? I would start Elliott. Um, Dr. Evil chimes in. Austin Trustee could use a rest. Well, yeah, I mean, they could. Well, Elliot's played both LCB and RCB, but he's better at RCB. Definitely passes better over there. Um, all right, that's about it. Episode number 54 or 55. I can't remember. I got to start writing these down. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, having Bobby on the show. Hopefully, his audio is okay. I think it was okay. 
And uh, we'll try to get them on some other time. But thanks again, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time.